Hello, and welcome to Cringe Benefits, the podcast that's all about your very favorite things from childhood and your grown-up regrets about them. Today, I'm talking to Becca Musser. Becca is an Astoria-based actor-slash-writer-slash-fighty person whose primary pastime is queering classic myths and literature. An actual hobbit, they live with their pepper plants in a sub-basement apartment with a six-foot-three ceiling. Becca, how are your pepper plants today? Uh, They're excellent. Actually, a bunch of new buds just popped up over the past few days, so I might be getting some peppers soon. Are they indoors? Do you have like an indoor pepper grow up going on? That's so yeah. cool. Yep. I've got a, a grow light. Um, so it looks super sketchy, but it is. <laughs> I mean, listen, it, it, I just, I just feel like doing something perfectly innocent that looks sketchy is just the perfect mask for any sketchiness you want to throw in <laughs> under the radar. That is true. It's great. Yes. It's like a it's like a criminal smokescreen. Um, <laughs> Becca, how old were you the first time you saw Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Um, let's see. I was in junior high. I think I must have been. Oh yeah, I think I was twelve because I think I started watching it in season three, and I was not allowed to. It was very. <laughs> I needed that criminal smoke screen at the time. What did you have a criminal smoke screen for Buffy? No. No, I did not. I just had to be sneaky about it. I could have used yeah. it. I guess being 12 and adorable is kind of a criminal smoke screen. I don't know. I feel like parents don't trust that as a criminal smoke screen. They know you too well. I was I got really good at the game of having the remote in my hand and just the moment I heard footsteps changing the channel to something mm-hmm. else. I I should I should say for the record that uh I loved Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I too was not allowed to watch it. Uh, and uh, I, I grew up in a in a pretty conservative house. And when I fought my mother on this and asked her why I wasn't allowed to watch it because it was just a TV show, she said, I'm worried it will give demons a foothold into your mind. And I, I hasten to add that my mom has mellowed out considerably and she was a wonderful mother and is a wonderful mother and I love her to pieces. But I have never forgotten this phrase because it's just so beautiful. It's just such a beautiful arrangement of words. It will give demons a foothold into your mind. It is an excellent phrase. Oh, it's so beautiful. I just, it just, I, I kind of, I kind of want to get a tattoo that says that. The point being, I, I, I watched it anyway because of course I did, but mm-hmm. I could only watch it uh, either when she wasn't home or when she was occupied in such a way that I could conceivably hide what I was doing. And that means that what I watched was whatever was available in syndication and it was out of order. And I sort of pieced together the arc of Buffy in my mind over this whole like slapdash jigsaw puzzle way of watching it, which is to say there's a lot of Buffy that I don't know. So so some of today's conversation might be a huge surprise to me and I'm here for it. Spoiler. Spoilers. Spoilers abound. Was Buffy something that you primarily did alone or did you have did you have friends you watched it with? Well, um, so actually I first started watching it with one of my friends. Um, we watched it at her house because I was mm-hmm. not allowed. And so it was kind of it was kind of our thing. Like I remember we would I remember specifically playing it was on somebody's trampoline. Um, but we would play Watcher and Slayer, and she would be my watcher and I was the slayer, and we would do like fight training to, to of get of course you to, did yeah and sometimes that just involved 
beating up her little brother with plastic lightsabers. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he was a good sport. He had fun. Was Watcher Slayer your first, like, fight choreographer, fighting actor experience as a child? Actually, I think it was. <laughs> wow. Wow, we are learning things. Listen, this is like therapy. I, I, this is a safe space. We are just here <laughs> to explore and uh, to grow. Right, to learn things about ourselves and our child. <laughs> This is this is this is good. This is some good work we're doing right here. Buffy was certainly I don't think she was the first character I encountered who was a a woman who could fight. Definitely groundbreaking as the first one who was supposed to be like an innocent teenage girl who could fight. But we had right. you know Wonder Woman and various X-Women yeah. and and like and, Ripley and Pink Power Zena. Rangers. Oh, Pink Power Ranger. Oh. Yeah, I wanted to be Kimberly for a little while. Her name was Kimberly. That's right. But back to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. You joined in the third season. Did you did you stick with it pretty regularly through the end? Um, I didn't start watching it like super regularly until I think it was season five. It was the season with Glory. Um, and also with Dawn, who is objectively the worst. Um, I think that's pretty universally known that Dawn is terrible. Oh, man. Uh, oh, I love Dawn. Well, I love Dawn, but that's because I love M Michelle Trachtenberg because I love, I love Harriet the Spy. Um, and I did like, so there was the part of me that was like, well, if they can just randomly add a little sister for Buffy, exactly. they can do one for Willow. And I wanted that to be me. So I would like fantasize while I was walking my dog that somebody in a black limo would pull up and hire me to be Willow's younger sister, even though I lived in a farm town in Colorado at the time. Everybody had that fantasy of just being discovered in the middle of their everyday life doing something non-actor related to get the exact role that they wanted. It's how they cast David Baranis. He was literally walking his dog and then they cast him as Angel. And I'm like, that's not fucking fair. I'm sorry. It ruined my expectations for how Hollywood works for life in ways that I am still unpacking to this day. But yeah, like that whole that whole discovery discovery fairy tale. I think Veronica Lake was the first one who was a big deal because she was discovered in a soda fountain drinking a milkshake. I mean, nobody looks sexy drinking a milkshake. But also, if somebody tells you you look sexy drinking a milkshake, do you want to be in a movie? It's probably not a, an offer you should accept. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think what I left about Dawn was and I, I, I again I I might feel differently had I really sat down watching the episode sequentially, not distracted by my ever present fear of discovery. Um but like what I what I kinda liked about her is that they embraced the stupidity of the retcon because the whole <laughs> episode where she's brought in is is about is about Buffy kind of fracturing as she is remembering both the reality where she doesn't exist and the new reality where she's existed forever. And their relationship becomes about like, you haven't always been my sister and you've always been my sister and I'm going to love you now because you're here, which is kind of beautiful. That is like, and that is really cool. Um, I just don't like Dawn because like, basically she had huge purpose in that one season. Well, I mean, she was the reason that Buffy had to had to die in that one season was because like it was basically either like Buffy or Don because Don was the key that opened like this portal that Glory was oh, trying right. to open. Yeah. Um, and so then Buffy sacrificed herself so that, you know, to save the world because that's what 
Buffy does. And then after that, Dawn was just kind of there. There, yeah. And she had that weird, like, kleptomaniac storyline. I missed the kleptomaniac storyline. Yeah, it was really bizarre. It was like they were trying to give Dawn character traits. (laughs) But it's like, I I don't know. It's not, like, that's not a personality trait. Was the kleptomania, was the the kleptomania uh, uh, arc coming out of nowhere? Or was it like a a ham-fisted attempt to grapple with her trauma at having been raised to die and now her life is back it felt like it was out of nowhere but it might have been the other thing but i mean also by the time we're like by that point we're in like season six and seven where there's just so much going on yeah that it was kind of like we just have to give dawn something to do so that there's a reason that she's there season six is when all the other potential slayers come up right because buffy died so they're all well so buffy dies multiple times over the course she of the season. dies in like the first season in the first episode doesn't she doesn't she die in the first couple episodes i don't know i know she dies like 12 times yeah and that yeah there's that whole like faith kendra buffy um triad i don't remember what season that was in but then i mean season seven is the one where like all of the slayers are coming together Mm -hmm. um yeah season six is the one where that's the one where we get like the musical episode Mm -hmm. and um it ends with evil willow which I will say that Evil Willow is possibly the best part of that entire series. Yes, we, we're, we're, we're going to get into all of the Willow in a second. And so have you, how, have, you, have you returned to the series a lot for comfort watching since then? Um, so I remember, like I watched it when it aired. And then I remember doing a rewatch in college. And then I think it was... Like it was pre pre quarantine, um, so I guess maybe this last winter or something, mm-hmm. I started rewatching it again. But um, I didn't get all the way through because I have a hard time getting through the Riley episodes. I don't like Riley. Nobody likes Riley. I've learned this. No. I don't have a lot of mem- I like my memories of Riley are the episode where he hands down an ultimatum and then flies away in the helicopter whilst she runs to chase him, and. Yep. The episode where he comes back with his wife and 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 Buffy has all of these feelings about him. Uh, but so when you when you tried to rewatch it this last time, was that when you started to notice it was problematic? Yep. Yeah, that was really when I was like, oh, oh, there are uh, there are some issues. And so I mean, like before I started to rewatch it this last time, I'd read like think pieces on the internet in the in the interim years. Yeah, that's a word. Yeah, that is. But um, yeah, about like some of the issues with Buffy and then like rewatching it, having had those like in the back of my head, especially I was like, Oh yeah. Yep. Nope. Can you, what was the first thing to jump out at you when you were watching it this last time that, that gave you a yikes? Xander. Just like the entire character of Xander. Yep. Xander. He's got some real transactional nice guy issues. Like he really does. Like the entire first season, his whole arc is that like he sees Buffy and he's like, I must have her. And like he spends the whole the entire season not telling her that, but just like actively pursuing her by doing like the quote nice guy friend things, but expecting repayment for that. And then when he finally does ask her, she gives him a very like kind, well thought out no. And then he responds by getting angry. 
mm-hmm. and then revenge dating Willow. Mm. Oh my God, I forgot about that. Poor fucking Willow. Yep. Oh Poor my God. Fucking Willow. Who has been in love with him for her entire mm-hmm. life. She was pining her entire life. Like literally. And then he finally she, starts dating her to piss off Buffy. I'm like. He could have killed the friend group. He could. Like if that yeah. had happened to anybody in real life, the friendship would have been over forever because it's just mm-hmm. so tough. And isn't there. Is is the pack in episode, in season one or season two, the one where he's like possessed <sighs> by hyena spirits yeah. and assaults Buffy or attempts to assault her? I think, I think that might be. It's either season one or season two. But yeah, there's that whole thing. And then like after it, it's like, oh, it's okay. Because he pretends he I just mean, doesn't remember. Not only does he yep. pretend he doesn't remember, but then Giles comes up to him and is like, hey, hey, buddy, in uh, none of the literature is is memory loss listed as one of these symptoms. But don't worry, I won't tell anybody. Which Giles, that's that's it's yeah. one of one of the few moments in my life that I disagree with uh, with with my my library father Giles is that he yeah. he doesn't he doesn't mentor as an adult and say you need to address this you need to say sorry you need to right I mean even at least just check in and see if she's okay yeah like that's a traumatic thing and like I can understand it being traumatic for him as well but he should at least see if she's okay. That shouldn't be a thing that you just never talk about again and hope that nobody's fucked up over. Yep. Yeah. Which, I mean, lucky for him, they just never talked about it again and apparently nobody was fucked up by it. (laughs) But... Yeah. 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 It's hard because I enjoy this show. So I I have not done a pointed rewatch even though I'm now an adult who has my own my my own streaming capabilities and nobody can tell me what to watch, I keep meaning to, and it just doesn't come up. Uh, and I think one of the things that I'm that that my hackles are raised about is is I know that watching it, there are things that are going to get under my skin that mm-hmm. like I loved as a child. Like Spike was the was was one of a long line yeah. of sexy snarky villainous villainous bad boys on which teenage abby had deep abiding crushes and Mm -hmm. his whole there's just there's 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 a lot to unpack about what's fucked up about spike like so many things i both need to unpack these things for my personal growth and i acknowledge that there's the possibility that these things are fucked up and problematic and i can still enjoy them whilst holding that knowledge i just i'm just i'm I'm just gonna have to confront confront some things about my fantasy life that i'm not sure i want to talk about i will say though like in the the early seasons the way that spike treats drusilla is so sweet and beautiful and i think that's one of the main reasons that he became such an endearing character. Yeah, he's got like, such he a was big so soft good spot. To Drew. He's yeah. got such a big soft spot for her. He he's so loyal to her. She's mentally ill, and it does not change his love for her one bit. It's very sweet and lovely. Very sweet. Also, yeah. just James Marsters is impossibly handsome as a man. It should not be allowed. Mm-hmm. Those cheekbones. That you could cut yourself on. They're just, they're yep. insane. Mm-hmm. 
Sorry, I went I went away to a happy place in my brain. I'm oh back. no, I just swooned a little bit. It's okay. It's good. It's good. This podcast is sponsored in part by Audible. Confession, I have had a full-on case of reader's block pretty much continuously since March of 2020. On top of that, after a full day of working from home, complete with Zoom calls, sound editing, spreadsheets, graphic editing, and hours of staring at my computer, the idea of relaxing by staring at another screen doesn't sound relaxing. Lucky for me, I can find the perfect entertainment and escape through Audible, with thousands of titles spanning audiobooks, theatrical recordings, guided meditations, and more. Audible has something for pretty much any mood and any moment I might find myself in. Listeners of this podcast can get a free 30-day trial, meaning one free credit to spend however you'd like, by going to audibletrial.com slash cringebenefits today. For a fanciful escape from the world outside your window, I recommend you check out Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. It's a Eastern European take on traditional Germanic fairy tales, but with some badass heroines who aren't afraid to get fucking angry. Seriously, it is wonderful. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash cringebenefits to start your free trial today. I think one of my favorite Willow storylines is Willow and Oz because of not only mm-hmm. is is Seth Green so delightful and charming and recognizable as a guy a guy you went to high school with and kind of had a crush on but also seeing Willow outgrow her her position of pining after Xander to accepting that mm-hmm. she's worthy of love and adoration elsewhere. I loved Willow because I recognize that if I were to be on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, either as an actor playing any of the roles or as a person in those scenarios, I was going to be Willow because because <laughs> I was a nerdy Jewish girl who had discovered paganism and was hiding it from my parents. So that is Willow. Just period. That's, that's Willow. That's Willow. That was me. Yep. And uh, also just like a super nerdy bookworm who who, who did not have either the the physical confidence nor the physical ability to go out and punch people. I was mm-hmm. going to be the willow of any friend group. But you could hack into the, the city's system and find out all of the sewer lines. Yeah, because all nerds have hacker abilities in the 90s. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it was a requirement to be a nerd. You had to be a hacker. Absolutely. And also, I think Willow was kind of geek wish fulfillment because she was the girl who hung out in the library all the time and therefore had the coolest adventures at school. I still want to be Willow. Of course. Who am I kidding? Willow. And so identifiable for me as as a kid, <laughs> as, as a person who has always uh, tended towards deep, passionate, unrequited love affairs with, with persons in my life. Just I saw... I saw Willow, man. I saw her. Well, also, I think Willow was honestly the first queer woman I had ever seen, Mm -hmm. like in life or in TV. So I think that was very big for me. First actively announced, this is textual. Right. And not just, um, yeah, like coding that was explicit. When, how old were you when Willow, when Willow came out? Um, I think that was season four or five. So I was, I was like 14, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. How did that, and feel free not to answer this if this is too sensitive. 
How did that storyline affect you and your understanding of yourself at the time? Um, well, so I had, like, when I was young, I had this whole thing where I was like, okay, I had, um, I had pictures of Julia Stiles and Anna Paquin, like all over my wall. And in my brain, I was like, I want to be like them. Um, Mm -hmm. and that was how I, I reasoned it away. And so like, I mean, seeing the Willow Tara storyline, I of course also had pictures of Willow on my wall. Um, it was one of those where I don't think I connected it to myself yet. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, oh, this is nice. Oh, I like this. This is lovely. But I didn't, I didn't place myself in that yet. Mm -hmm. But like the groundwork had been laid. That's also like one of my issues with the show is when Oz comes back. So wait, so, so before you get into it, just for, for me, but also for the listeners, can you give me a brief primer of the arc of Willow's love life? Ah, yes. Okay. So I might miss a couple, but I know the overall is she had been in love with Xander since they were children. It was that kind of best friend. You're my best friend. I want to be with you forever sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then first season of Buffy, Xander is pining after Buffy. Willow is pining after Xander. Buffy turns Xander down he gets butthurt about it. And he's like, fine, I guess I'll just date Willow. Um, uh. So they start dating. Um, he actually realizes, oh, right. Willow's pretty great. This is kind of a cool thing. Um, then I don't really remember exactly how they break up. But then Oz comes in and Oz is just a delight. He's such a sweetheart, but he's also got that like, cool guy thing, which honestly boosts Willow's self-esteem because she's like, oh my goodness, a cool guy likes me? Yeah. Um, And it's really cute. And they date for a long time. Um, But then Oz has like his whole werewolf thing. Mm -hmm. And so then he leaves to sort that out. Um, Willow is very sad about it. Uh, And then she joins the witch group in college. She meets Tara. Um, and then as soon as she kisses a woman, she's like, oh my God, I am gay now and I cannot touch men ever again. Um, so right shortly after that happens, Oz comes back and is like, hi, Willow. Um, how you doing? I still love you. You want to do the thing? And Willow basically tells Oz, um, she's like, I love you but I'm with ladies now. Um, and it's very sad. Yeah. But, I mean, I love Willow Tara. Love Willow Tara. No, no, and no. then, I mean, we know what happens with that and that does not end well. And I think Willow just is alone. I don't, um, I, I certainly don't mean to suggest that, uh, that, that Willow should have gone, oh, right, Oz is back. My lesbian phase is over. That's not the, right. right. But like the whole, I, I, th- I, I think, I think the whole idea that, once you have kissed someone of the same gender, you are exclusively attracted to that gender forever is hugely problematic because exactly. it, it invalidates like Willow's entire life before this show and everything we've seen her go through through this show, having mm-hmm. these very uh the, these 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 very heterosexual it's so like there's 
there's gray areas. There's there's the whole spectrum of bisexuality and pansexuality we could see her explore. Mm-hmm. And just exactly. a version. Exactly. Right? A version of this where she says, oh, Oz, I love you very much, but I'm with this person now and I, I, I want to see this through is also valid and real and and honestly, like having giving Willow the room to essentially like really reflect on and think about her sexuality rather than just like having like a hard line of one day I'm totally straight. And then you know what? I'm totally gay now and not really like thinking about it. Just And so, I mean, one thing that I say all the time and probably will say until the day I die, gender is a spectrum. Sexuality is fluid. Like there are... I fully believe there are no hard lines here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think that's something that is not really represented in many places. And like no. this would have been, especially like for um, for kids watching this show who are like questioning and thinking about where they fit and where they stand. Mm-hmm. Like, is it suddenly, oh my goodness, I kissed a girl now I can never be with men again or Mm -hmm. like vice versa. You know, it's like, no, it's not, it's not a hard line. It's not, you don't pick a team. Yeah. Like there's so many options there. And I think it would have been really, I mean, useful for, for people to get to see Willow really reflect on that rather than just saying, nope, no more boys, which I mean, to be fair, like that sometimes happens too. It's like, that's, but I feel like I, I would have liked more reflection and openness. Yeah. This is speculation. I have not looked into the composition of the writer's room. This feels very much like a show that was written uh, with the absence of queer voices in the writer's room mm-hmm. to really reflect on the shape of that, the, the shape of that exploration. Because even if Willow does mm-hmm. ultimately come to the conclusion that she doesn't want to date men ever again, I, I, it's I can't imagine that that choice can be that quick for a person. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I also don't know the composition of the writer's room, but I feel like that is a reasonable hypothesis. Even absent the rest of the writer's room, something that that has long rubbed me the wrong way about this show. Uh, probably the first thing I ever put into words about dissenting to this show was the idea that Joss Whedon's idea of a strong female character is a woman who is physically who who is who is not intimidating to look at extremely physically capable in a violent circumstance but gets her heart broken easily and depends on men for her emotional validation yep and that's really hard and that that the strong like a strong female character it's not that all of these ingredients are are necessarily bad. I do want to see women in romantic applications. I do want to see women who aren't afraid to be feminine while they're kicking your ass. I do want to see women who uh, take you by surprise because you assume that they can't kick your ass and then that they then they do. But I also want yeah. to see women whose value is uh, not intrinsic to who they're fucking at the time, and that is to a really real extent a huge. De- Terminance of 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 Buffy's emotional arc because like there's the whole there's the whole angel loses his soul arc which is a huge mess. It is all right. So that's one of that's a huge mess. Like the whole relationship with Angel, I have issues with. 
Um, as much as there was also like that young part of me that had a crush on David Baranis. Of course. um, He's a very pretty man. And like, Angel walked so Edward Cullen could run. The whole I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna brood. He in the, stopped her first. I, I'm gonna brood in the darkness. We can never be together. But I'm going to watch you sleep. But don't touch me because I can't have love. Even though I will let no one else love you because I love you. But no, get away from me. Like that whole. Yup. I mean, I'm just throwing out the fact that he's like 200 something years older than her. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, it's one of those where like, at the time, I remember one of the reasons that I wasn't allowed to watch it was because of the sex. Mm-hmm. Um, it mm-hmm. was like a quote, sex positive show, but it really wasn't. Because <laughs> like, the first time Buffy has sex, Angel loses his soul and then she has to deal with the consequences. And there's like this whole metaphor of like the responsibility of sex being on a woman mm-hmm. and like having and also then like look at characters like Cordelia and Faith mm-hmm. who like are dressed like in more sexy fashions and stuff. And just the way they're treated over the course of the show is like villains. And mm-hmm. I don't, there's like a whole thing of demonizing women's sexuality. Yeah. The. I read that the show was the the whole Buffy the Vampire Slayer property, starting with the movie and then going through the show. The idea was to subvert horror movie tropes uh, about right. how women are allowed to exist in horror, and it really doesn't subvert them all that much. Um, the mm-hmm. the the like Buffy is in a lot of ways the kind of the ultimate final girl in that she is the one who will survive everything. She is the one who will be standing when she, she you you cannot kill her because she will always come back to kick your ass. Um, but it mm-hmm. also does have those those unfortunate tropes of uh, gay characters are expendable, uh, characters mm-hmm. of color are extremely expendable, and mm-hmm. uh, if you are sexual and confident about it, you will be punished. And like the whole thing with Buffy and Angel uh, is is very much treated as you should have known better. You have the responsibility mm-hmm. to decide whether or not this is okay. He can't be responsible for his feelings or his emotions because he has he has no soul now. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and and the whole agency of Angel having made this choice is yeah completely uh, swept under the rug. Also, there's the there's the spike bit, um, the attempted rape. Yeah. So. So talk me through, because I, I know that I think it's post-Riley, it, mm-hmm. Spike gets fixated on Buffy, and post-Riley, Buffy and yeah. Spike have a bit of a thing, right? They have a, a bit of a thing, yeah, they do. What What is the dramatic function of him? Is it is it that they've broken up and he wants her to take him back? Like, what? why does he assault her in the story? Es- essentially, yeah. It's like, it's one of those where he's like going after her saying like, you know, I love you. You know, you have to be with me like that kind of thing. Uh Um, And so then, I mean, he doesn't actually like she, she fights him off and he runs off. And so like right after that is when he goes and gets his soul. And so it's one of those where like, it's one of those where it's like, that's his quote punishment is now he has a, a soul um, but it's still, it's not like really dealt with. Why is having his soul a punishment? Because now he has to feel the things that he has done. 
but it seems like he kind of was before anyway. Spike was always a very like gray character in terms of in terms of like, being it was, aware it felt of his like actions. he felt things even without having a soul. So he assaults a woman. Mm-hmm. His punishment is that he becomes aware that it's bad to have assaulted her. Yeah, but her. I mean, that's a punishment that he puts upon himself. And so he already realizes that it's bad. And it's something where it's like he, Buffy doesn't really get the chance to be like, hey, that was really fucked up. Um, Do they ever address it between the two of them? Really? I'm going to be honest. I don't remember i'm sure they do on some level like i know obviously afterwards buffy wants nothing to do with spike fair accurate Um, but then i mean like later on they do anyway because they fight the world together and spike does like the noble sacrifice thing and um yeah yeah and yeah i think there's like one point where he he comes back and he has like the sad puppy dog eyes and he's like i have a soul now um it's hard because something that i'm something that I'm grappling with uh, a lot in, 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 in the current climate is that I, 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 I need there to be more like substantial consequences for uh, men who, who men who prey on women mm-hmm. full stop, especially in the industry, mm-hmm. especially, I mean, and we haven't even gotten into the stuff that's been said about Joss Whedon behind the scenes. Like I need there to be measurable consequences for men who sexually assault women or attempt to sexually assault women or sexually harass women or use their power in any other way to get sexual gratification from women. I need those consequences to exist. I also need to live in a world where people are capable of change and growth and worthy of redemption and forgiveness if they've demonstrated that change and growth. So, like, mm-hmm. I would be interested to watch the Spike arc again. Part of part of what I want to bring into my next rewatch is I, I do want to rewatch the Spike arc and see if I see any of that in there because it's like it's it's part of the trouble of talking about a a, a property that's so based in uh, fantasy tropes is, is that we can't really say what getting your soul back means or what like the the real world equivalent of getting your soul back is. Is it the equivalent of Going to therapy, going through a a restorative justice process, writing apologies, doing volunteer work, unpacking your life and doing what you need to do to be a a fully grown person? Or is it Mm -hmm. a really handy narrative device that's thrown in to give the writers permission to treat the character like a hero again and give the audience permission to keep liking him? Yeah. 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 I mean, like, the vibe that I've gotten from watching it is the latter. (laughs) Um, But I mean, I would be interested to look more into that. I think part of it, like I, I mean, every time I do rewatch the show, I do skip that scene. Um, Cause it's, I, I feel no reason. And especially, I don't know, especially knowing how traumatized the two actors were filming it. Because, like, this was, there weren't any intimacy directors or anything. Like, after every take, James Marsters would go into his trailer and cry. Oh, man. Like, he did not feel good doing that scene. I mean, obviously, it's a hard, hard scene. But I feel like the actors were not taken care of during that process. What did, has, has Sarah Michelle Geller said anything about it? Um, not that I have seen. Um, but I mean, I know that, like, bless her heart, she had to go through so many attempted assaults on that show. 
And I, that's, I mean, that's the problem with a lot of genre things as a whole is using assault as a character building mm-hmm. thing for women. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not like that or agree with that. I feel like there are so many other ways that you could have character growth. There's so many other traumas that women undergo besides, I don't know, there's yeah. a, it's a, it's a, it's a trope that keeps getting used because to a certain level, to to a certain extent, it's effective, but it's also really lazy. Mm-hmm. It is because it's like, well, it's like a fast pass. It's like, <laughs> all right, this is hugely traumatic. Like this is going to make a big shift in this character in five minutes. Yeah. So let's and, talk about Taro and Willow, uh, about Tara and oh, Willow yeah. then, because like, so the, so the bury your gaze trope is a trope that's popped up in a lot of different forms. Um, that started really in 1930s pulp fiction when gay characters would always die as a as a punishment for their depraved activity. Like it was it yep. was sort of Chekhov's homosexuality. If you're gay in Act One, you will die. <laughs> you 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 will die tragically in Act Three. And then it got yep. subverted when uh, gay characters when gay characters and the acceptance of homosexuality became mainstream. It became that uh, gay characters will die to. Uh, make an emotional point. Either they are too good for this world, or we are demonstrating the ways in which this cruel, uh, this world is cruel and harshly uh, unjust to uh, 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 homosexual people, and they will die uh, at the hands of homophobic violence. And again, those are real world things that happen, but it's it's a lazy way to, to, to treat your characters. And with uh, Willow and Tara, when Tara dies, it's like, it, it gives rise to the best Willow arc ever, but it's also... I think the other thing that really rubs me the wrong way about Tara's death is that it's so random and meaningless. That's right. Like, a stray bullet just flies through the window. It's not even like we're showing homophobic violence or anything like that. It's just a completely arbitrary death that didn't need to happen. And yes, like Angry Willow is a great arc, but again, I feel like there are other ways that could have happened, especially since, I mean, like Willow and Tara had just like, they had had a major fight and they were finally starting to like get back together. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but I mean, you have like the whole Willow's addiction with magic and stuff. You could have easily just gone that route to get her to Dark Willow. You didn't have to kill Tara because then that just I don't know it's one of those where it's like okay once you kiss a girl you're 100% gay but also you can't have nice things you are not going to have a happy life your girlfriend is going to bleed out in your arms this is going to be terrible but accepting as read that killing Tara was a lazy narrative choice if it had to happen I kind of love that it's unexplained and random and I'm going to tell you Mm -hmm. why because I totally identify with flying off the handle because the world is chaotic and you can't control it and you deserve nice things and you've done the things that should earn you nice things and you've just gotten to the Mm -hmm. point where your life is going to go the way that it should, but it can always be taken from you at any moment. Like I kind of really identify with, I would go nuts. I would go nuts. It can be taken from you at any moment. Um, That is. But I, but I I do think that another sort of reason that uh 
something 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 that I see in the in the Terra death that I also see in other um uh, uh bury your gaze scenarios is the idea that like the legitimacy of the romance is proved by how badly hurt the surviving partner is like this is how you mm-hmm. know that homosexuality is real love because look at how mm-hmm. look at how bad willow feels right she doesn't just like go cry in xander's shoulder or something right she she just loses her shit completely so clearly it's real love but you can't have it <laughs> And we can't prove real life. We can't prove real love with happy functional with with happy functional gay relationships. Only tragic exactly. ones. Tragic ones yep. rife with fighting and on again, off again, and then a random death. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. And then and then that's that's the end for Willow. She doesn't have any other uh, any other romantic entanglements until the end of the series, does she? No. I mean, I think I'm trying to remember. I could just be. I could just be like putting this on, but um, I think in the last season, there might've been something with Willow and one of the other Slayers. Mm -hmm. Um, That could be me just projecting. (laughs) (laughs) I will say something that I think is really admirable is that they never did a, and now Willow has a crush on Buffy because she's gay storyline, which. Yeah. That I would not have liked that. No, which is extremely low hanging fruit for, um uh gay character plot twists and also for willow and her her previous position as being the one who pines so i'm real glad mm-hmm. they didn't throw her throw her back into back into that uh, yeah i like willow not pining i, I like, mean i like willow pining too i just like willow but yeah but we want we want strong happy willow who's assured of her own self-worth and her worthiness of love and not like yeah that's the thing. Like, as soon as she starts doing magic, she just, like, she gets so much more confident and, like, sure of herself. Um, which, I mean, it's easy to see why she gets addicted because yeah. she feels good about herself for the first time. Well, magic is such a great, like, timeless uh, narrative metaphor for for girls coming into their own agency and power. Although something that I've just realized I have a huge problem with with that trope is that it is so often subverted to the but don't get too confident and powerful or bad things will happen. Yep, which definitely happens with Willow. Which happens with damn Willow. It. God damn it. Yep. Why can't women have nice things? <laughs> We're not allowed. Oh. We're inherently evil. Remember the whole fall of Eve. Oh, man. I do remember the fall of Eve. It was a terrible, terrible time for us all. Forget the fall of Eve, the fall of Lilith. Lilith wanted to be equal to Adam, so she's a demon now. Oh, speaking of demons. Yes, please. Anya. Anya. So Anya, talk to me about Anya because I missed most of Anya. I know she's a- Yeah. She's a greed- She's a vengeance demon. She's a vengeance demon- and she like chooses human form because she she's weirdly into Xander, and she has the most heartbreaking reaction to the death of Joyce Summers in the world. Mm-hmm. That just mm-hmm. anyone who wants to have feelings should play for themselves. But tell me, talk to me, talk to me about Anya. Unpack her a bit. Um, yes. So Anya, Anya is a vengeance demon, and she helps wronged women. Like that's her whole thing. Um. And I don't know. I love Anya. I think she's hilarious. Watching her navigate the human world is fantastic. It makes no sense to me why 
a demon that gives vengeance to wronged women would fall in love with Xander <laughs> Harris. I do not understand. Oh. And then also when he leaves her at the altar, he does. Why he still lives. Wait, when does that happen? Tell me everything. I don't remember like what what sees it, but like they're supposed to get married. And he does not, and yet somehow is not just banished to some hell dimension for the rest of eternity. Why Why do women always have to be the bigger person? I don't know, because Xander Harris sure as hell is not. Oh my Xander God. Xander Harris is terrible. I read in some article this morning, and I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can find it again so I can drop the links in show notes, but uh, someone was unpacking Xander Harris and said that like... Ross Geller is the worst man in television, but Xander Harris is a close second. And the moment I started thinking about him in comparison with Ross Geller, like all of my criticisms came to light because the thing, the things that are likable about Xander are that he's, he's Joss Whedon quippy. Um, He uh, is an insecure, uh, anti-macho man in a lot of ways like he's just not the one who's going to be able to save the day and he constantly needs to be saved and it's kind of hilarious Mm -hmm. i am struggling to come up with other reasons to like xander although i know there was a period of time that i did i did too like when i was first watching it i liked xander yeah i was like oh he's fun and cute now i'm like I think I think Xander is a Mary Sue for Joss Whedon. <laughs> like, Tell me more. I kind of feel like that's that that's the Xander role. Oh God! So maybe we should unpack Joss Whedon a little bit, as 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 yeah. insofar as we can. In 2017, when uh, Joss Whedon's ex-wife Kai Cole published her letter. She wrote a letter in uh, 2017 that was published on The Wrap, and I will drop that link in the show notes, uh, in which she outlines the ways in which not only was he unfaithful during their marriage, but he used his brand as a male feminist and as a supporter of women to cloak this and make himself unassailable. Mm-hmm. And she she contends that he used his marriage to her and what a great supportive partner he was and how awesome and strong his wife was as a criminal smokescreen uh, for his uh, uh, for his uh, his various infidelities. There have since been uh, allegations of abusive and improper behavior on the set of Buffy um, and abusive and improper behavior, although, although these allegations are still currently vague uh, on the set of Justice League when he went in to finish to finish the film, which is really troubling because for a lot of reasons, but amongst those reasons, when you go back and you rewatch his work, which was for many reasons groundbreaking and feminist at the time, you see the ways in which it's so not feminist now. But also just being um, physically abusive to actors on set. Mm-hmm. Um, like I read an interview with James Marsters where this was early on in the series where um, the audience reaction to spike was overwhelmingly positive people mm-hmm. liked spike um and joss whedon threw him against a wall and shouted in his face because that's not how he wanted the character to be perceived which is obviously something that james marsters has zero control over he's just there to do his job yeah um 
And also, not only yeah. is he just there to do his job, but having experienced both acting in television and acting on stage, when you act on television, you actually have like so little control over how your performance is perceived because so much can be done to it in editing, in 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 presentation, in the way that it's shot. James Marsters, as undeniably charming and attractive as he is, he did not create Spike. Joss Whedon created Spike. Yep. 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 But Joss Whedon did not like the way that Spike was received in the world because he had this um, narrative that he wanted to do with Buffy where it was like, all vampires and demons are bad except for Angel because he has a soul. Mm -hmm. But then people reacted overwhelmingly positively to Spike because, I mean, Spike in the beginning especially was pretty excellent really excellent and and fun and dark and nuanced because he was fun and dark and evil and loved the fuck out of drusilla exactly yeah um yeah so it's it's a very bizarre thing that he would take that out on the actor Mm -hmm. who had zero control in the situation totally i also read a story this morning about uh uh the fight director and a Sarah Michelle Gellar stunt coordinator, er, stunt uh, double for the first four seasons of the show. So uh, fight choreographer Jeff Pruitt and stunt double Sophia Crawford started dating. Uh, And in fact, they got married in 98 and um, which is charming and delightful and it makes me really happy. Uh, But (laughs) apparently as the show got more successful over the course of those four seasons, Joss Whedon became more and more difficult to deal with. Uh, so Jeff Pruitt announced that he was leaving the show and Joss Whedon did what he needed to do to keep Jeff Pruitt on. But after that, he called Sophia Crawford into a meeting and told her, if you want to come back for season five, you have to leave Jeff because you two can't be dating while this is happening. What? And so she said, uh, no, fuck that. Goodbye. And she quit. And uh, Jeff- Yeah, because by that point, they would already have been married. I think so. Yeah. And Jeff quit shortly after. Yeah, right? I found that on a list on, I want to say, Screen Rant. I'll see if I can find it and drop it in the links as well so that I'm not just spreading hot goss. But (laughs) like, there's there's a sort of megalomaniacalism to uh, Joss Whedon and the way that he creates the world that's really troubling. Yeah, he's very single-minded. And it's like, this is is the way it has to be and we'll accept... I mean, really, it seems like no artistic input from anybody else like a, that de- deviates from his vision. It's a problem that no small amount of uh, directors and producers fall into, which is that as their work gets more, uh, as their work gets more successful, people are less likely to say no to them. So they have a harder time hearing no, which means that they get harder to collaborate with. Um, and... Uh, it's an easy problem to rise above. All you have to do is not be an asshole, listen to the people around you, value everybody's humanity and uh, creative input. Input. You still get to be in control. You still get to make the final decisions, but you mm-hmm. also get to treat every, everyone else like they're human. Everybody wins. Yep. So with all of this in mind, having uh, taken a wide skim across the deep ocean that is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, how are you? How are you feeling about it now? Is it is it something you can you can watch again and still enjoy? I mean, I I think it is honestly just especially with like how 
formative it was for me. I don't know that I'm just going to sit down and watch it beginning to end. But I mean, there are always like episodes that mm -hmm. I'll, I'll come back to that'll just like, you know, lift my heart for a little bit. Or I mean, if I want to cry, watch the episode where Joyce is dead. It's a, it's a heartbreaker. Like there are some really well done, well crafted moments of television. And I mean, I don't know. I think it's something where yeah, I don't think I'll do the big sweep rewatch because that's when you start to see a lot of the problematic issues. But you take it, if you take it in bits, <laughs> like, it's not as bad. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things that you you have to go in knowing what you want to take out of it and with your teeth mm -hmm. kind of gritted against the stuff that's going to that's gonna rub you mm -hmm. the wrong way. Yeah, because I think it was... A lot of a lot of it was very progressive at the time that it aired. And I'm really happy that we have grown so much since it's aired. Um, but I, I'm still happy that it did what it did. I think I have a big sweeping rewatch ahead of me just as one of the many ways I'm celebrating that I'm 30 and I get to decide what I watch on TV now. Um, yes. And also because, you know, there is so much stuff that I missed because I have such a primary colors view of what happens in this show based on on how I watched it. Like, I don't think I ever saw, uh, is it is it Hush, the one with the gentleman? I don't think I ever oh, saw yeah. that one. I think I've only that seen clips actually. of it. Yeah. There are some like really, some, some, some really good uh, formative classic episodes that I think are still like great television and great performances and mm -hmm. uh also i mean i'll watch the musical episode anytime absolutely like, anytime really once more with feeling episode. always yeah. a good decision always a good decision becca thanks so much for coming on to talk to me about this today um if listeners want to find more of you and what you do out online where should they look well, um, I have a Facebook and an Instagram. I do not have a website. That is something I need to work on. But um, yeah, coming up next for me, I'm in a Zoom play with Rosedale Shakespeare. So if you look them up, um, you can you can find me there. Fantastic. And uh, as always, you can find this podcast out on the internets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cringe Benefits. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Abby Wild. And that is our show. We will be back next week with another childhood favorite that's become a grown-up regret. Bye!